0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 71. This week, we talk with Neeraj Joshi about SQL and Azure SQL Database, your OS sucks, and make it rain every time you get paid. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week we have Niraj Joshi. He is principal program manager on the DX Ted team at Microsoft. He's a 14 year Microsoft veteran focusing on all things SQL. And he's a father of three. Welcome Niraj.
1: Thank you, Jason. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Carl.
2: Uh, Carl. So what's, uh, what's going on this week? So this week, our feedback winner for the infragistics ultimate license is Dave Glick. And he commented on our, that conference show uh, in particular, the block that we had with uh, uh, Casey, he, uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, he said that porn star name game from a while back is social engineering at scale. And he just, it had never occurred to him and it blew his mind. Yeah.
0: That was from the, that conference episode, the Keith Casey, I think he was like an hour in on the podcast. And, and I actually feel kind of bad that he was that far in because he had his, his information was absolutely mind blowing. So I hope people stuck around to listen to that.
2: Yeah. That, that kind of caught me off guard as well too. Um, but anyways, uh, Dave, uh, congratulations on winning the Infragistics license. If you want to get mentioned on the show and possibly uh, uh, win the same license, send us an email uh, to feedback at msdevshow.com. Uh, comment to us on our Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher website, uh, wherever we are. I mean, yep. Neeraj, I don't know if you if you caught that.
0: Um, so when, when we talked to Keith Casey, he was talking about um, this on Facebook, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where you you come up with like your porn star name and it's like the road, the street that you grew up on and then like your oh. best friend's last name or something like that. Uh-huh. It's social engineering at scale. Like you, <laughs> you can go out there and and those are the answers to the questions to to get access to people's accounts. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Anybody who didn't hear that episode, you should go back and at least listen to Casey's part. Because like I said, it was just, it was really eye opening how you know, just social engineering to, to get all of this information. It was, it was, it was crazy. Absolutely. Yep. So let's get into the news. So this first one is causing quite a stir. So JetBrains toolbox. So basically they put out a, a blog post saying, Hey, we're switching to a, a monthly fee model. And, uh, and they're like, Oh, this is great. This is what everybody's asking for. You know what? I just noticed that they put out an update to this blog post, but what ended up happening is the comments exploded. There are 526 responses, uh, as of right now, even though they just posted this thing uh, yesterday, basically. And, um, people are just freaking out because they're like, Hey, I, you know, I used to be able to just buy this and, you know, they have various reasons for not wanting to switch to a subscription model. Um, this is very interesting. Okay. So there's an update. This is, this is like breaking news, Carl. Um, (laughs) We announced a new subscription licensing model with JetBrains Toolbox yesterday. We want to rest assured that we are listening. Your comments, questions, and concerns are not falling on deaf ears. We will act on this feedback. Um, so they might be reversing this decision. So this might yeah. be a non-story story.
2: So either way, you had a, a follow up story called mm-hmm. "How JetBrains Lost Years of Customer Loyalty in a Few Hours," mm-hmm. and uh, it, it kind of you know went down the things that you said. You know, there there are reasons why people don't want um, to pay. A constantly the and he he goes through them. So if you want to check that out, uh check out the the show notes for the link to this cuz it's a you know it's a pretty dense article. Um and he too also has uh an edit to it if you look towards the bottom um which I just noticed right now. But yeah, there's when you s- switch between uh payment models, you really have to determine why you're doing it and what the focus is, whether mm-hmm. it's whether it's going to a subscription model or or perhaps switching from a paid model to a freemium model. I know a lot of people uh, that I've known, you know, go to great lengths to, you know, figure out why they want to make that change and Mm trying to figure out how to ease it for the customers. And obviously this is, you know, one uh, example of how they didn't quite figure out all the edge cases and how people would react to it.
0: Yeah. That's a good point that with the edge cases, because overall, this is a good idea. Like I, I, me personally, like I buy, you know, Office 365, I like being able to pay for that, you know, yearly or monthly. Um, same with like Adobe, like they're such a good example. They're like the canonical example here with the creative cloud. Like I I buy uh, or you know, I pay monthly now for Lightroom. I used to buy it on, on a regular basis and I never tried any of the other Adobe products. And now, you know, it's just to the point where I can go in there and, and pick a couple of products or just buy the whole suite, pay a monthly fee. And it's so much easier to digest because I. You know, I just don't know exactly what my my use case is going to be. So I think for for like resharper for JetBrains in general, I think they should, you know, they should offer this side by side for a while. And I mean, if there are, are people that still insist, you know, even with the benefits of the subscription model that are still in the old model, then just keep it around, I guess. And if if there's pretty much nobody, if it really is and, and uh, you know, a really thin edge case, then then get rid of it and just say, look, we've looked at the data. You guys had the choice to do this and you you weren't picking it. Any thoughts, Neeraj?
1: No, absolutely. I think uh, it's moving to a services model. We yeah. are seeing this everywhere where they are actually moving right from uh, you know, a paid or a one-time uh, pricing to a monthly model. And I'll put SQL back in the front of it because we have SQL, both mm. the box product, as we talk about, and SQL Azure. Yeah. And it's interesting how some of our partners pick both or only one, depending on where they want to you know, go forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, like I said, uh, it's it's really nice being able to just pay that uh, that monthly fee. I I at first I was a little hesitant to do that, but I I prefer that for uh for a lot of things too, and even some of the software we use for for processing this podcast. Yeah, like we have an yeah. option to buy it, but we've actually you know we use like the cloud version and just pay for it on a regular basis.
1: Right, and I I believe customers like it when they feel empowered to do whatever choice. Exactly. If they get forced into a corner, that's when you know tempers rise and everything else
0: absolutely okay and the next one here typescript 1.6 beta um so this is uh so we had our typescript episode recently um so this is just you know this is the first beta coming out i don't know if there is a sync and a wait. that's what i want to take a look at but it has i guess the new um announcement here is react uh support so you can have i think it's a tsx file because react is normally like rsx And I'd have some native support for that. Apparently the support for React was just uh, horrible in the previous version. Um, So they've, you know, completely reversed that and made it so that you have really nice typing. So you can do like symbol renames and go to definition and all the wonderful things we like about TypeScript. And I'm just turning into like the biggest TypeScript fan because I, um, I really like it because it still lets me, you know, I get the portability of JavaScript, but I get the, the, you know, the type interfaces whenever I want uh, from, you know, from C sharp and I get that kind of feel. So this is, this is great seeing them come out with new versions, and I'm excited anytime they come out with something new. I'm the only TypeScript person, aren't I? <laughs> 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 okay, we can move on. So next one, Your OS Sucks.
2: It's the best, click, best clickbait title ever.
0: Yeah, so before we go into this, you know what is funny about this is I, I actually, like last week... Like right before this came out, it probably, while well, this Kevin, I think it's Kevin Free. Uh, whenever he was writing this post, I thought about writing the same post. You know, you can believe me or not believe me, but I thought about writing the same post because I was just, I'm always frustrated by like every single operating system. And there's, that's like, why don't they steal this from here? And these people, you know, because it's, it's like, they all have something really novel and, and interesting. So you want to talk about this, Carl?
2: Yeah, so this this gentleman he works for Facebook, but previously I believe he was a Microsoft employee, and before that also had stints at least working with the Mac OS and Linux. So he he's mm-hmm. got some extensive uh, experience. I believe it was also like working on the compiler too. So he, you know he was kind of down in there. He you know it wasn't just you know a casual you know user of all of uh, these technologies. Yeah, and he's not he's, a fanboy of any of these. <laughs> no, and his and his blog post really. Brings out. There's a lot of flaws that everything what we have uses. Um, it's easy when you're working in a certain stack, whether it's the Microsoft stack or you're doing something with Apple or or, or whatever it is, to just kind of get swept up in it. And he just really laid it down, like there, and he got kind of specific with some of these things. There's just some atrocious things that just really suck about it, like on Windows, how the update process, you know, just. You know, sometimes it just takes forever and you have to download so much just to get it apply,
0: reboot, apply, reboot. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and he mentions, yeah, that that feature might be better somewhere else, like on the Mac, but that Mac still has plenty of its own issues as well. So, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's just, you know, helpful to step back and realize that, you know, yes, you know, you know, I might be working with this, but you know what? It's it's not the end all.
0: Yeah. And he's fair too. he attacks Linux as well. But, um, you know, I see there, I've run into this, the same thing. So like OS 10 as an example, or, or just, you know, uh, Mac OS, what ends up happening is that there's just, there's just silly things. Like if I click, um, something on the, on the dock and I, you know, re- basically restore it, I'm using the windows terminology. And then I click the dock again, like it, there's no action that it takes. Um, I find things like that frustrating plus the, this goofy behavior where, uh, I close everything in an application, but the application is open and, you know, I guess Mac people just get used to that. There's there's some things in Windows that I customize or I just get used to and we just we just sort of forget about it. So it becomes a non-issue, but but they they remain in there.
2: Well, I I remember not too long ago when you were uh uh doing a little bit more on the Mac side than what you had in the past. Mm-hmm. You're you're complaining to a friend of the show Brandon um that uh hey like hey this sucks and he's like what are you talking about? That's great. Hey, he had, and then yeah, got, he has no idea. And you got into the details, you're he was like, "Oh yeah, I just deal with it." Yeah. That happened
0: recently too. Like I brought to him some scenarios. I'm like, this really sucks. He's like, no, it doesn't. And you know, once again, I describe it to him and he's like, oh yeah, you're totally right. That does suck. I forgot about that. You know, just like you just, you just get numb to it. <laughs> so that's yeah, just frustrating. So that's why I almost wrote the same post. I'm glad somebody else did.
2: All right. So the next item, I, it, you know, it's a small, uh, GitHub <laughs> repository, but I thought it was just fun. I've, I've used Stripe before the payment system. Um, you know, it's a nice way to, you know, collect money and do all those transactions there's a a github repo that essentially will hook in whenever you get paid via stripe to github or i'm I'm sorry uh hip chat or slack Mm -hmm. and it'll put a make it rain uh animated gif yeah in your channel (laughs) i just
0: just got a kick out of this so
2: you can make it rain every time you get paid
0: yeah so what is is stripe like A is it like is it like paypal donations is that what it is i i haven't used it not used square
2: so essentially, you know, it's just a a credit card processing solution. Oh, okay. That's I got you. It, it's just dead simple to use. Um, they they've got uh, several different APIs for it, and their JavaScript one is is dead simple to use. Yeah, that is pretty funny.
0: <laughs> okay, what do we have next here? How to onboard software engineers. So this was with Kate Heddleston. So this was a, a Fog Creek uh, blog post, and uh, mm-hmm. basically interviewing her and the the things that. That I thought were interesting. Interesting out of this video slash interview, um, one of them was the idea of new developers getting trained by the, um, um, I guess the the most recently hired
2: developers. Well, not not just well, when you say new, that's that doesn't mean like they're they're junior or anything. Just whoever yeah, the yeah. whoever just is getting hired is getting trained, getting their environment set up, learning the business logic. From the last person who got hired, whether that yeah. person is junior, senior, that anywhere. That makes so
0: much sense, yeah.
2: And, and the logic behind it is because they just went through it. They know the mm-hmm. pain points, they it's fresh in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was really great. And uh, I'm working for a client where we're onboarding a lot of people. And so I just thought this was really great advice because uh, we've tried several ways to onboard people between having dedicated people who do it every time, you know, and, you know, this approach, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for how uh, what what she suggested here. Mm-hmm. And then she had a lot of good information too about uh,
0: the onboarding process and getting women up to speed. Uh, because it was she saw that during the onboarding process was there there was a, um, you know there was an issue where women were having a disadvantage right at the beginning. So I think it's worth a listen for that as well. Like, you know, setting, setting everybody up for se- success equally. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. She was sort of tracing it back to its source. Like, you know, why, um, why her peers were, um, you know, why certain people were getting, you know, promoted quicker and and things like that. So um, I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if there was anything else out of this uh, that you picked up
2: on, Carl. Well, the, the other thing too, is uh, they mentioned that uh, there's two great ways to get good people working for your company to Mm -hmm. get great engineers. And it's, you can get them from other people or you can grow them. Yep. And they said, you know, having that good onboarding process really helps set, like you said, set people up for success. And so they can grow into those roles Mm -hmm. where where they're going to be awesome. And, you know, I believe we've talked about it a few times in the past, but you know, our, our field is growing so much. I mean, we just have a ton of junior people out there. And Mm -hmm. if you have a good way to grow them in, I mean, you can't just hire all senior developers. That's not feasible for the entire industry to do. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention here in the news was uh, some videos got published of us. So this was when we were at that conference, we talked to uh, David Giard and he actually interviewed both of us separately on what the, you know, our projects that we were presenting there at that conference. So I'll have links to those in the show notes, but I'm uh, episode two or uh, sorry, 382 of Technology and Friends. So I talk about IoT, the Microsoft Band, and using that to control PowerPoint. And then Carl is in episode 383, and that's uh, on the Universal app platform. So uh, definitely go check those out.
1: Was that the one, Jason, the same one where you used the band to flip the PowerPoint and move it forward? Yep.
0: And I actually so. used that. Uh, so I talked about it in that episode with, of Technology and Friends with David. And then I used that in my IoT presentation, uh, which, of course, it it worked until it spectacularly failed um, a few minutes in and I think it was because of the Wi-Fi connectivity <laughs> so next yeah. time I'm gonna go I'm gonna do um, uh, LTE and uh, and in uh, a hotspot.
1: Well, I, the only comment I'll make is I suffered through Jason slapping because <laughs> as he was hacking. Yeah, that's
0: hacking- right. You were sitting next to me. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that was that was hilarious because I'm yeah I'm sitting there basically like you know I don't know backhandedly slapping you uh, over and over again to you know test the uh, the accelerometer and the gyroscope. I didn't actually hit Niraj just for clarification. I just <laughs> you know <laughs> I was faking him out like a hundred times that day. Exactly. OK, so let's talk about something that it seems like you're interested in, Niraj, which is SQL Server. <laughs> so, A little bit. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so first, uh, you want to talk about your background. You were talking about all sorts of crazy things. I mean, you've been in Microsoft for 14 years. So like you've seen things. So yes. uh, so, you know, tell us.
1: Well, I, I, I joined Microsoft 2001 uh, in the SQL Server performance team. I was there for about nine years. And we did lots of crazy things, doing the high-end benchmarks for SQL. And we would meet up with, you know, we did stuff on Itanium benchmarks. We did literally the second or third X64 box in all of Microsoft to put SQL on and to do perf benchmarks on. And it's interesting to push a technology to its limits and then go forward from there and the last uh, 5 6 years i've been working with isvs on their benchmarks to see their limitations to see some of their coding challenges kind of opens your eyes on the non microsoft technologies and some of our own uh, bottlenecks or things we do well so it's been real fun journey so far
0: okay i'm sure you've seen some uh, abominations and i won't ask you to talk about those but <laughs> i can
2: on, i can imagine on
1: sides, including microsoft oh as yeah
2: well. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's enough to go around so today we're going to be talking about two specific products, SQL Server and Azure SQL Database. Um, I, I know a lot of people kind of might have a mushy you know, idea of what the differences are. So what is the relationship between these two products?
1: Sure. Uh, SQL Server is our box product, or as we call it, uh, the on-premise product, which we release uh, every three years. So let's talk SQL 2000, 2005, 2008. Our latest version is 2014. We have a newer version, SQL 2016, which is scheduled to come out sometime in the next calendar year. Mm -hmm. Azure SQL DB is our SQL database as a service. It's by far the premium enterprise database service offered by anybody. I don't know whether even any of our competitors have that much of a enterprise-level offering right now. Both of these products, it's important to understand, are based on the same code base. So it took us a while to integrate those, and we went through a lot of engineering uh, lessons to be learned. But right now, all of them are of the same code. So all of the SQL engineers literally check into the same branch or sub-branch. And nightly or on a frequent basis, we based, depending on your compile flags, we just snap different builds off that. Uh, but the, the advantage there is because of that, our SQL 2016 is one of our most baked uh, release ever. Like We haven't had that much amount of testing even before uh, doing this.
0: Well, that's that's actually that's really awesome, you know, because SQL, I've always thought of it as like, you know, like you mentioned, it's it's such a an awesome enterprise grade application. And to say, you know, this has been like the most tested. um, That's that's really cool. That's a huge advantage to having that um, that hosted offering. Very cool. Um, Oh, Go ahead. No,
1: so the second second kind of difference is, like in a database as a service offering, we offer certain guarantees or service objectives mm-hmm. in, in how, what database we offer. And it comes with certain guarantees in terms of, hey, we will have three copies of your database lying around. We will not lose your data. We'll have uptime of 99.95% SLA, uh, and so on and so forth. But it's very similar in terms of our... Uh, thought process like we have in SQL, we have standard enterprise editions. in Azure SQL database, we have basic standard and premium models again, and for functionality going towards premium if you want to go enterprise grade.
0: Okay, so just to just to make this you know super, super clear for anybody who hasn't uh, dealt with this before. I mean you can you can install SQL server on-prem. you know you can install on your local machine or local virtual machine, whatever. You could also install that in a virtual machine in Azure. And, you know, that's where like my knowledge would break down, right? Like if, if somebody said, hey, I need you to babysit the SQL server and make sure it stays running and I have to install it on two different machines, like my knowledge is going to break down. But somebody like you would know how to go through and, and set that thing up so that, you know, if one of the, for high availability. So if one of them happens to die, if one of those machines goes down, my SQL server will actually stay running because the other one can take over, you know, take on that load. Uh, but so that's one scenario is where you can have it installed in a virtual machine or, you know, from my perspective, I go out there and I push a button. I say, uh, I'll take an order of SQL server, please. And I get one of those. And now my understanding, I think, I think this is what you just said, right? Is I get, I get the high availability and disaster recovery. And like, I don't have to worry about all the complicated backend stuff. Right.
1: That's, that's absolutely a fantastic way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It's designed to put, I wouldn't say put me out of a job. But put me to do things better, or to do to learn coding from you back again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but yes, it's for for coders to have easy access to an enterprise grade database without having necessary to learn each of the nitty gritties to keep it on.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. So this is gonna. It seems like we're like you know we were at like you know five miles an hour now we're going to like sixty. So <laughs> can you explain what in memory OLTP is? Because I know this was a big feature that was added in 2014, and I think it's getting a lot better in 2016. So what is that?
1: Okay, so in-memory OLTP, or internally we code named it, call it hackathon. Hackathon essentially means 100X or 100 something. Uh, the goal of this is basically it's a completely separate engine within SQL Server, which is an in-memory offering. Uh, so kind of to go a step back, all of our database engines, including all of the leading competitors of SQL Server, were based on disk-based systems. So we optimize for sequential reads, we take into account you know, magnetic drives and all of those ones. In-memory essentially takes a complete out-of-the-box step is what are the things which you would like to do if, if all of your database resides in memory? and you still want to keep your same asset compliance, atomicity, consistency, idempotency, and durability over there, uh, how would you design a new database if you had to go back from scratch? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the challenges which a lot of people in Microsoft were dealing with. So a lot of this was pioneered out of David DeWitt's org. Uh, he's a leading professor in the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a uh, partnership with Microsoft Research. And uh, essentially, InMem OLTP is a completely new engine uh, which resides within SQL Server, which, which will take advantage of all the in memory structure. So you can put your entire table into memory and then it'll make it super fast. But it's not just sufficient talking about memory being your, your tables residing in memory. The other optimizations include we essentially did away with locks and latches. So this is called a multi version concurrency controller, MVCC in which we are relying on the retry logic capabilities and making sure that kind of ensures our consistency over there. And the third part of that is, uh, of the NMEM OLTP technology, is we allow you now to compile your stored procedures directly into assembly. Um, this might get a little technical, but traditionally stored procedures get compiled in TSQL. sql Then when we actually run it in SQL Server.exe, we have Algebraizer, Processor, and everything else, and that takes up a large chunk of your performance. If you bypass that your instruction set counts as the assembly instructions essentially will get reduced by 100x.
0: Wow. That's really cool. That's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. So so if I want to uh if I want to move some of my stuff in memory do I just, you know, is there just a checkbox that I check or you know what what does that process look like?
1: It's essentially a couple of add-ons to your T-SQL language you would need to do. Mm-hmm. So when you define your table is create table, and then you would need to add on those special uh, keywords over there. Uh, but before that, so if you're developing from scratch, if you're a greenfield, absolutely, then it's completely easy. Mm-hmm. Even if you're migrating from a existing app, we do have a couple of tools which allow you, which will go and profile your workload and let you know. Uh, what essential tables or store procedures are ideal candidates and mm-hmm. how much gains you would get from migration. So basically,
0: whatever is hot, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what was hot and whatever surface area we cover. So in SQL 2014, we had a smaller set of surface area. It still pertains to, uh, I would say, 80% of the actual code being used. But in terms of, uh, like, we didn't have support for XML, for example, or we didn't have support for MARS, the multiple active result set. Uh, But we would take that into account and then make sure that sort of procedures we recommend have actually uh, are working for your in-memo LTP engine.
0: That is is really cool.
1: It's pretty cool. And, yeah. and I think one, one other thing which I would like to do, with, yeah. and again, uh, as an engineer or talking to actual developers, is you may not get the 30x gains, we might say. Mm-hmm. You might get gains in specific stored procedures or specific columns. Your end-to-end workload is a combination of all of your smaller and smaller objects over there. Mm-hmm. So you might get gains of 2x or 3x which even in that is 300%. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. Fine it's, it's
0: funny, like two or three sounds like a small number, but we're talking about, you know, double or triple the <laughs> speed. <laughs> exactly. And we're acting like it's, ah, it's, I only tripled the speed of this, man. <laughs> my life is not worth living. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is today, you know, memory is so cheap. I mean, I have my desktop machine here when I built it. I actually, I think memory went up after right after I bought it. But uh, when I, when I should say, when I built this machine, I put 32 gigs in and I, it was a hundred bucks. I mean, it was literally a hundred dollars for 32 gigs of RAM. I didn't need it. You know, I just, for me, like 50 bucks, I'm like, oh, I can avoid like ordering that and opening up the box and then actually opening up my case and putting in the memory. Yeah. I'm just going to buy the memory and just put it in there. It's so cheap. Um, so I think it's, I mean, it's just getting more and more feasible, right? Even on, even on servers, I assume that you can just jam tons and tons of memory in these things and. You know, it's it's just a rounding error on your uh, cost. Well,
1: that that's exactly what drove drove this feature because memory was getting cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had other technologies just growing. I mean, you had Intel coming up with this multi-core. Moore's Law essentially coming into effect. And how can we make use of all of these? Uh, so SQL, even then, even when I joined 2000, 2001 we were the one of the only few applications on a Windows server which actually would make use of your 32 core. One of the things that I still remember my first day, my boss took me to our performance lab and showed me this Unisys box, and he was like gloating over it. Like, this is a 32 core box. 32 cores like five... in
0: 2001?
1: Yeah, and wow, it's like yeah. half, a, half a terabyte of memory. Uh, and now you actually can provision a G-series box with 400 yep. gigabytes of memory, right? Yeah. So that's a long way, and that kind of comes back to your point, is memory is cheap, or, or alternatively, you can provision it in, in minutes. Mm-hmm. And how do you make use of that is what we are trying to, you know, address with, with in-memory. Yeah.
2: So going forward, you know, um, not everything nowadays is straight up relation relational data anymore. How is Microsoft incorporating unstructured data and how does Polybase fit in with that?
1: That's a great, great question. So, I mean, uh, this has like several different forks in that answer, right? There is one aspect of the question regarding document DB, which I'll table for now. I know we'll talk about that later. Uh, in terms of uh, unstructured data... We, Polybase is a feature which we had introduced in SQL Server PDW or a Parallel Data Warehouse, which was this massively parallel uh, appliance which we had released. I, I guess it's two releases from um, before. We are incorporating that technology in SQL Server. So in SQL 2016, we have Polybase technology available. So you guys can download uh, the CDP 2.3 on on our download website and and go and try it. Essentially, it allows you to treat any unstructured data or any data lake. If if I may use that jargon, and treat it as a table. So you can essentially look at from any CSV file, any Hadoop, or any other data lake which we have relationships built around. You can treat it as a table. You can join it with a SQL table. And you can do your queries just like you you did before. So PolyBase is a great construct for a lot of the folks who are familiar with the T-SQL constructs and want to play or interact or mingle structured and unstructured data together.
2: So I'm seeing that this also includes you can hook in Azure Blob Storage as part of that too. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely.
2: That's awesome.
1: Um, yeah, and and it's not just limited to Azure Blobs, but yeah, like I said, it 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 kind of goes up and so out to Hadoop. Any HDFS container can also be hooked into it, and and we'll take into account.
0: Okay, so are you are you saying I'm I'm still like legitimately trying to wrap my head around this? Uh, are you so you're saying you could join your SQL data then with your Hadoop or with your HD uh, HDFS data? Yes. Okay. And,
1: and then we'll come to guidance as to what are the best practices there, yeah. right? So you don't want to do that all the time. Right, right, right. You won't have the relational capabilities, but absolutely it allows you uh, for your aggregation or any other things and stuff, but you can work within the single workspace out there in SQL.
0: Okay. So it seems like SQL, I mean, the impression I'm getting from that kind of functionality is like SQL is still obviously remaining relevant here.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and that's one of the key things which they are thinking about. SQL 2016 is all about trying to be relevant with the newer and newer technology, yeah. what patterns people are accessing and how can we help them do more with less.
0: Okay, very cool. So, I mean, just based on this discussion, it, it seemed like in my mind, um, and, and it, it seems like in general, people sort of think of, of SQL as the old thing, which is really naive because, um, you know, it really runs the world and it's still is is an awesome viable option for so many things and then hearing that it hooks in with these other things i mean it's just that much more powerful and i think it's probably more relevant than ever
1: Absolutely, yeah, and it is, and and we have so many different flavors of SQL and different yeah. features which you can use. So it's not like one size fits all. You can pick and choose which aspects apply to your particular case. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. For
0: me, I mean, the most exciting thing for me is is the is the service offering. Like I mentioned before, like just being able to say, "Give me one of those," and then just start using it. I, I think that's amazing. Just if I can. You know, SQL for me was always pretty easy to install. I mean, it's it's actually, it's not, you know, it's not anywhere near Oracle. Like that was always a huge pain, but SQL was always very easy. But being able to just go out to the Azure portal and say, give me one of those, I think is, you know, just takes it to the next level. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second. And I want to talk about Infragistics.
2: Yeah. If you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting gauges barcodes it's all pretty simple using their controls and if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs they have a product called indigo studio too lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas
0: yeah what i love about that you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app but uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app, all under one ultimate license, is is really big plus.
2: If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos, and try it today.
0: Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. Yeah, I hear that JSON will be supported. Not me, JSON <laughs> will be supported in the next version. Uh, so what can we use that for? What What is that going to look like?
1: So um, JSON again, this kind of comes back to Carl's question regarding unstructured data, yeah. and we have this huge uh, new green field of everybody's dealing with JSON documents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so JSON is a uh, the set of features we have in SQL is we don't while we don't have as a data type, we uh, allow you to store it as an NVARCHAR, and then we give you easy functionality of working with JSON. So you can use things like for JSON to export your data, any tabular data out of SQL in a JSON format. You can import data using the open JSON keyword uh, functionality, and you can even do things around constraints and validation: is JSON or what's the JSON value. So essentially, giving you all the tools. Uh, think of it as very similar to the XML set of feature sets we kind of allow yeah. our uh, uh, you know users or developers since I think two thousand five. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very similar in an approach and trying to make it very easy for the traditional SQL developer to work with this unstructured data and integrate that into their uh, tabular
0: or relational offerings. Okay, yeah, I know a lot of people are excited for that.
2: So, you know, you know when we're looking at things outside of SQL, when should we start looking at document DB as an option in development? Uh
1: that's a great, great question. It kind of goes back to the same thread of non structured data. So, DocumentDB, as you know, is our uh, NoSQL or a document as a service offering. It's essentially run out of the same engineering team. So, it's all reports up to the same, uh, if you will, the VP or other ones. So, a lot of so those things are. Like from- your, this
0: isn't like your kryptonite.
1: <laughs> no, no, and it's it's not it's not. Also, what I would like to stress is it's not people who are not familiar. These guys are intimately familiar with the enterprise right. data right. aspects of it. And again, it's it's a new code written from scratch, so they are free from all the constraints of legacy, and it's no SQL as a service. So DB allows you to interface with all the JSON documents, integrate that, and it's all backed by SSDs and extremely high performance. So the keywords there are NoSQL, offered as a service, has the same set of flexibility like JSON mentioned in terms of, hey, you just can provision a DocDB account and database and just get started. And lastly, depending on your scale, you can just move the dial as to how much performance you want. Mm-hmm.
0: So they both they, they both still have their place in the world.
1: Absolutely. And they will coexist peacefully.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Um, okay. So the, you know, we've been talking about the on-prem version of SQL and we also been talking about Azure SQL database. When I was using uh, you know, it used to be you no know, the the hosted version used to be known as SQL Azure. When I was using it back in the early days, like I couldn't even open up um um you know SQL Explorer. Or um, uh, what is that? What the heck is the database explorer? I can't even remember now.
1: It's called SQL Server Management Studio. Or the
0: Management Studio. Studio. Yeah, thank you. Um, man, you know, half half my memories are back when it was like Queer analyzer. And, you know, <laughs> so, so you can understand why I get mixed up. Yes. Uh, but whenever I'm in, uh, whenever I was in Management Studio and I was trying to connect to the database, you know, like there was a time when that wouldn't even work because they were so different. So where are we at today? And, and you know, h- how close those features are?
1: Oh, okay. So, again, I'll I'll decouple some of those Mm -hmm. ones. So, SQL Server Management Studio has made a conscious decision to decouple from SQL Server, and they have started releasing uh, their product updates on a fast train or on a fast track basis. So, literally yesterday, they released their August update, and they will keep releasing newer and newer updates, uh, I would say, every month or every two months, depending on what feature sets get available. Mm And that will not necessarily be based on the same SQL installer. So you don't need to have this 3 gig download before you just install SQL Server Management Studio. Uh, That's one. It will, it will have, and it does have support for SQL Azure or Azure SQL DB. Even 2014, SQL Server 2014, Management Studio has support right. for that. And uh, that's cross-built into it. Uh, the newer version of Management Studio will obviously have uh, support for all the latest mm-hmm. features of SQL Azure or Azure SQL DB and SQL 2016.
0: Well, it actually, I guess what I was getting at is, it was more on the on the um, SQL Azure side of things. It was missing features that Management Studio was expecting, right. and I, SQL Azure itself, you know, turning a SQL database, and it's it's really matured. And now there, it seemed like there used to be a ton of landmines. Whenever I'd go in there, I'd run something it's like, "Oh, this isn't available on here." It's like, "Oh, that's frustrating." Like, wh- what am I supposed to do? Uh, but now it seems like there's almost no landmines. So I guess what I'm asking is, what are those landmines? What what is missing from SQL database? Like is that a big list? Is it a short list?
1: It's it's a list which gets keeps shrinking more and more and more okay. day by day. Right. And and the reason is again again the same thing. We finally managed to integrate the code bases for both of those. Yeah. Previously it was a different code base. So while they were compliant with a lot of the T SQL surface area, some of the things which have been legacy or other things have not been enabled. So DTC, for example, or uh, previously we didn't have support for XML. XML support is now there, or uh, even things like full text search. It was not there. It's, it's finally coming into preview right now. So that surface area difference is co- becoming extremely shorter and shorter. Especially if you took a, take a look at the net new features of SQL ever since SQL two thousand five. Right, in my MOLTP is coming over. We already have support for all the basic DMVs. That's actually another place where you might see some landmines or some differences, mm-hmm. just because uh, DMVs in SQL Server uh, product expose a lot of the OS characteristics. What's a DMV? Uh, thank the
0: you. The Department, <laughs> Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, it's y- dynamic. Those are slow yeah, lines. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you want to call it DMV. No, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. Th- thanks, Jason, for. Yeah. I sometimes uh, tend to slip in SQL jargon, so keep me honest yep. here. Uh, DMVs are dynamic managed views. Essentially, they are these tables internally where you can select to know your health of your system. Mm. Now, we have had a lot of extensive third-party support, third-party tools built around that, as well as our own first-party tools. Um, Like I was going to say, SQL is when it gets installed on a system, becomes the king of the jungle. So basically, we have our own operating system. We rule the roost in terms of managing resources. And we expose a lot of those feature sets to our developer or the user of the SQL server. So in in an Azure world or in a service world, we want to lock that down because we do not want any other capabilities or other ones so right. those there will be some conscious effort to separate some of the DMVs or lock those down. So you will still see landmines which are expected they are not landmines as more as guardrails if you will.
0: okay well I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, you know the, with the common code base because whenever you have a shared code base, the default becomes to have, you know, the default is they have the same behavior and you have to go out of your way to actually have different behavior. So I think that really sets the tone for the differences in the two. So that was a, that was an excellent point.
1: Right. And and I think the aim of the SQL org is to make it very, very minimal. So we want anybody to code, let's say code once and deploy anywhere For if I may use right. an awfully managed system. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, do you have anything else? No, no. Go okay, ahead. I was gonna say, uh, looking forward to SQL 2016. I was wondering if you could walk us through some of the major new features and uh, what what they bring us.
1: Yeah, that's going to take us three more hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he's not kidding. He could talk about this for well, you have talked about this for days, so I, I know yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Let's uh, let's do it in about ten minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and for, for folks, to keep me honest, right, there are a couple of really great talks at our Ignite session, okay. uh, uh, Ignite conference. So that definitely will be the defining guide. Even on our MSD and our books online page online, we will keep on updating this. So my list might be a little bit short off, but I'll definitely tell the key parts which have resonated with my partners or yeah. a lot of let's our just get our players. Yeah,
0: let's get the listeners excited about them and then they can go find more information.
1: Absolutely. So the one-pager sheet is we have enhancements to InMem OLTP, the Hecaton, right? Mm -hmm. We have increased the surface area dramatically for that uh, to include support for things like Mars, uh, XML, and other feature sets, uh, basically to make sure it covers 90% of the T-SQL surface area uh, for you to deploy and take advantage of the memory aspects, which we talked about. So I won't go into depth. We already talked about that. Mm Uh, Another really uh, awesome feature which we are talking about in terms of performance is what we call as operational analytics. Now, we have had column store technology in the past two releases. We are trying to make use of that and integrating that in a loose way with Hecaton technology, the in-memory technology, and making sure we allow people to make their operational analytic decisions on the fly. This is pretty cool because it allows you to do data warehousing, but have some sort of in-mem technologies and then do uh, things like star star queries or star maps over there and do it on a very fast level. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, Another one, which is absolutely personal and dear to my heart, is a query data store called the QDS. In my personal opinion, this is one of the biggest enhancements underneath the covers which we have done since the advent of the dynamic managed views in 2005. So a query data store uh, is essentially what we do is a data warehouse internally where we are capturing all of your queries as well as the execution plans uh, which are coming up. And that now enables us to give you analysis for every single query Every single plan for that query and then do regression analysis as this plan changed and that's why your performance dropped. And how do you do keep a specific set of plans constant for that query data store or for that entire workload? So
0: is that is that like taking profiler and, and basically outputting it somewhere, but it's it's just it's doing it all the time and efficiently? Uh,
1: profiler is extremely, extremely heavy. Right. Yeah, so that's I, the problem I, with
0: running profiler, right? Is you're looking for performance issues and by running it you cause them.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. Heisenberg. Yeah. Uh but in, yes, but this is this is more than that. This actually will give you the full history of query executions on the fly, and you can like by click of three buttons force plans, do safe uh, you know SQL upgrades or rolling upgrades of your application as well, and a lot of net new features in SQL Azure also or Azure DB are based on these ones on the query data store going forward. So so you will see more and more third party tooling coming around as this gets mature. But but this might not be as evident to the the developer right away or to the application writer. It's it's really cool underneath the covers features to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of going through the list, we actually also have support. Uh, we also talked about JSON, but uh, other than that, we have support for temporal data. So this has been an oft-requested things so with a lot of our people have directly rec- requested. Essentially, allowing you to query your tables from times as of or between certain things. And this is done transparently to the application. So behind the scenes, we'll either add a table. I won't go into specific nits and uh, uh, details, but you can now query a select star from table as of December 31st, you know, 11.30 p.m. or between August 1 and August 31st, whatever time Is this for start.
0: streaming data or, or something no. else?
1: No, no. This is for any table, tabular. Data. Okay, I'm
0: not getting it. Then what can you so,
2: <laughs> so, so, explain it so, like a five year like a five year old? So let's let's <laughs> see if I understand this. So for temporal data, I'm, I'm thinking time. So if I I can say I want to view this this table, let's say it has sales data. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But after after Christmas, so I could I could through a query, um, only look or have access to the the data that's been either inserted or whatever that constraint is since December 25th of last year. So I, I could have, you know, it basically enforcing an additional constraint on that.
1: Yes, I, I know that's actually a good way to put it, Carl. And if I may add a little, it can allow you to, if you think about it, like virtual snapshots, right? And you don't have to create snapshots on your database. Your database can be growing, so you, you might. Have, your database might have customer activity going on. Let's say even till September of this year, and you might say, "You know what? I don't care about that. I want this particular query to only run for like our fiscal year end, which is June 31st
0: mm-hmm.
1: or June 30th, right? That part. Okay. And you don't want to. You don't want to have additional logic. We do it seamlessly for you. You just need to say as of.
0: Okay. Cool. Kind of a deal. Okay. Next item. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. So uh, I keep forgetting. This is this
0: is like oh. yeah, this is like the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, and I I have my cheat sheet in front of me, but it still takes time to go Yeah, back no problem. Forward. Yeah. So the the other pretty Awesome set of you know updates we have done till 2016, and kind of to go back, I personally think 2016 has way more features, uh, individual features combined from 2014 and 2012. It's it's one of the best new releases coming up for 20 SQL Server, and I've been through uh, I guess about six or seven of those. Uh, so security is the one we have done a ton of investments and and uh, feature set supports on. On a lower level, we finally again have support for row level security. Now, what that means is if I select uh, a table, so you, me, and Carl, depending on each of our security levels, you might see a different set of rows from that same table. And again, it's transparent. You don't need to change anything. Yeah, a lot of people and,
0: want that. That's very cool.
1: Yes, exactly. So I don't. I think this has been on our, again, on our hit list. We finally got it done. It's, it's there in the CTP, so go and try it out. Okay. Uh, the next set of features are, again, targeting towards this uh, idea of only give access to data which they need. So dynamic data masking is real-time obfuscation of data to prevent unauthorized access. So the data still exists on the table, but you can put filters, you can put masks over there for certain types of users, uh, and they can only see, for example, like last four digits of your credit card number. Right. And that's all they'll be exposed. So if if a call center person coming in, they can only know that to validate some some information and then move on. Very cool. So that feature is, is available out of the gate. And uh, last, but certainly not the least, over there is always encrypted. In terms of sensitive data, always remains encrypted at all times with ability to query. So what I mean by that is, we had a feature called transparent data encryption in SQL for a long time. And, and our customers love that. One of the questions which came out of that was, Data is encrypted at rest, but not encrypted in in motion. So if I have a SQL query into the database, any of that data is not encrypted. And a lot of times, a lot of our high-end customers, healthcare or or any of the other deeper ones which store PII information, uh, they they don't basically want to trust anybody except the raw client who's accessing that information. So Always Encrypted allows us, with the help of certificates, to query certain uh, tables or columns or encrypt those and not having that exposed to anybody except the client on the client side. Now, the advantage there, people have kind of done that before with things like, hey, I have encrypted stored procedures or encrypt the whole database and stuff, is in this case, the encrypted things on the column on the database side stay encrypted, but the columns appear to the DBA as and they will. So if the DBA wants to do some DBA maintenance or plan analysis and everything else, he still can do that. But he just won't be able to make any sense out of that data, uh, the physical data out of that.
0: Well, everybody's getting to be secu- uh, security conscious. So these are, these are you know, absolute essentials.
1: I absolutely agree. Security is a big, big feature. Everybody has been talking about it. And we have the tools to deliver it on an enterprise level. Yep. Uh, coming back to the last, last set of things which I want to talk about is uh, in terms of scalability and availability. With Always On, we kind of went a step further. Now we enabled Always On for the legacy things like DTC. So DTC used to require a global catalog. Now we have support for uh, Always On for that and for SSIS as well. Uh, One pretty cool feature which we did on Always On was now we have support for up to three synchronous replicas and not just two for auto failover across domains. And now we will have round-robin load balancing across replicas. So if a, if a let's say a read-only query comes in, we just don't go to the first secondary out there. We oh, you will distribute the read load. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's pretty huge. Uh, it's a relatively easy fix for us to do, but it actually has a big impact on performance and scalability. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's that in a nutshell from a, what I would say an OLTP or a mission-critical performance aspect of it. Right. We had a bunch of investments around our BI offerings. Uh, So SQL Server Analysis Services also gets uh, shipped along with SQL Server Engine, which we also call uh, the entire SQL portfolio. And there there has been a bunch of improvements around there. So we did a a lot of perf improvements on the NUMA, the non-uniform memory access capabilities of Analysis Services. So your SQL Server AS is now way more faster on that. Uh, polybase, as we talked about, actually comes in the same bucket in terms of letting you access uh, data at different uh, domains or different structures and access it in a single level. We have support or enhanced our SSRS SQL Server Reporting Services. Now, finally, to have support for HTML5 and to target these new browsers and these new devices. So, that's, that's pretty cool. One one real cool uh, thing coming out of our acquisition of uh, Revolution Analytics is now we will actually have R integration, which will come in the next part of our CTP, uh, in terms of having your R packages directly run within the context of your SQL Server. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will we will release more and more information as we get, get CTP3 along right now. I don't think it's uh, in the current release as yet. And uh, the last part I want to talk about is we have a separate pillar completely based on what investments are we doing for hybrid. So we have this small thing called Azure. Mm-hmm. And how do we, you know... I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, any Microsoft developer will get wrapped on his knuckles if he doesn't say Azure at least three times. Yeah, podcast. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but what are we doing as in an on-premise product? And this is different from just SQL Azure mm-hmm. or Azure DB. Uh, how is SQL Server uh, making use of Azure? Right. So one big feature we have is called Stretch Database, which kind of allows you to securely stretch your cold tables to Azure with remote query processing. So what do I mean by that? Is a lot of our companies, including healthcare, other ones, have regulatory constraints or some other constraints in which they carry large amounts of data. Think tens of terabytes or hundreds of terabytes in a single database context. Now, just laws of physics essentially dictate that backing up, restore, all of those takes a long amount of time, three hours, four hours, depending on their SAN infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What we allow with stretch tables or stretch DB is to have your hot data to be on-premise and your cold data to be migrated to the cloud trickle stream. So your nothing gets affected. It still remains asset compliant and everything else. So your hot data, which is, let's say, a very small part, let's take you know, 50 gigs, 100 gigs, whatever that may be, to be on-premise and all of your tens of terabytes of cold data to be in, in Azure. Behind the scenes, we'll manage that. We'll make sure it's effective or it's clickstream. Now take into account backups. We will back up your local data here locally, which will be pretty short considering it's only 50 gigs. And behind the scenes, we'll take care of backing up Azure database or whatever other things in that equal amount of time. So instead of taking like three hours, it'll be in a span of minutes or you know, a few, few tens of minutes, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. That is such a cool this, feature. And I, I think that really shows off, like you mentioned, the, that hybrid scenario. I mean... Somebody who is like, oh, you know, I still am going to keep this stuff on-prem, but you bring them a compelling story like this, and it's like, oh, you know, I really don't have any reason not to do that. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to it's yeah. hard to argue with that one.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because uh, like companies know this restriction, and they have been kind of groaning under the weight of uh, regulatory auditory compliance, and they realize they're never going to test that data except once in a year. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, they can save on their own costs and IT management costs on that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is that the end of the list? Uh, uh,
1: the last list is we actually also made uh, significant improvements in backups. So now you can back okay. up SQL Server in 2016 to a block blob. So, oh. for those who may not know, is we used to only allow backing up to page blobs. And page blob is slightly more expensive than the block blob. So, you get about 30% cost savings over there. And you can now back up to multiple block files, which will speed up your actual backup of, of SQL. Uh, by an order of magnitude, okay. Over there, so be multi-stream basically stripe your backup. So to speak, yep. on on a Azure block block. Very cool. So those, that's essentially my SQL 2016 in a whirlwind tour in a very, very brief. Yeah,
0: it's lecture. probably like killing you to like not you know talk about yeah. them in, <laughs> more in depth. <laughs> no, but it's exciting yeah, because yeah. people get excited about all of. Oh yeah, options. there. I mean, every single there's there's pro- there are probably people listening where even just like one of those things, they're like that is enough for me to upgrade.
1: Yep, Absolutely. Yeah. And my last pitch there in that sense is you can absolutely download the latest versions from our website in terms of installing SQL. Coming back to our point of having the same code base, a lot of these features are getting introduced in Azure SQL DB. Mm-hmm. So role level security, uh, I think in Memo LTP is probably in the private preview. It'll come up very, very shortly, but that's on track. So if you keep up to date with Azure SQL DB, you can absolutely see a lot of these features being lit up. Yeah. And you can try that out without, uh, like, in a span of five minutes instead of downloading. If you want to download and utilize the whole thing, absolutely, that's that's even better. Okay.
0: Very cool. Uh, anything else have you excited these days?
1: No, the SQL and, and the <laughs> whole explosion of Azure, you know, in terms of the firehose. Yeah. Having so many, like the GS series thing announcement was also pretty yep. cool because from a SQL perspective, having those thirty-two cores and having premium storage, eighty thousand IOPS. Exactly. That's that's just. How I'm rubbing my
0: hands. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like. I eat IOPS for breakfast. <laughs> it's not weedies. He, he eats eye up cereal. <laughs> Okay, very cool. Okay, so let's move on to our Azure pick of the week. Although that would have made a good pick of the week as well, because that was a good news story this week was the was the gigantic uh, G S series, which is basically pairing the G series machines with the uh, premium storage. Like we mentioned, uh, eighty thousand IOPS, which is uh, which is pretty insane. Uh, but my Azure pick of the week was the boot diagnostics for virtual machines V two. So this is this is a a small step. Uh, but an important one in being able to, uh, you know, diagnose any kind of uh, virtual machine issues. So you you go to start up your machine. If it's a Linux machine, you're actually getting a console output. Uh, you can actually see what's going on there. Uh, if it's a Windows machine, you can basically get a screenshot that shows, you know, this is a boot failure or whatever. And then you're not completely in the dark. It used to be that, you know, you're like, oh, is, is it working? Is it, you know? Is it like running, you know, like check disk, and it's gonna be done in an hour, or you know, you just had no idea what was going on? So, uh, you know, this is just a, a nice incremental improvement out there, and uh, being able to run your infrastructure on top of Azure. And uh, Carl, what do we have for the Dev Tip of the Week?
2: Uh, the Dev Tip of the Week is, this week is a blog post on .NET Native. So, if you're not familiar with it, um, all Universal Windows apps going forward, when they get deployed, they're gonna actually be deployed into the native compiled binaries they're no longer you're no longer going to just run the il on the framework so um this is really cool and there's a few things you kind of have to know to like really squeeze the most out of it especially if you want to you know get a you know a a release binary yourself um it's actually as simple as going and and switching it to release mode that will put it in in that .NET native mode uh for you universal windows apps but it's also going to really slow down your compile times. So there's an article here. I'm not going to go through all of it because there's quite a bit to know. Um, not all of it you need to know. And uh, some of the cool things is, is when you deploy your package up to the store to be deployed, it's actually going to do all that com- compilation for you. So to a certain degree, you don't have to know a whole lot about it. But if you really want to squeeze the most from your apps, you know, it's definitely something to you know dig into and kind of learn the basics. I love free performance and
0: I like easy performance, so <laughs> it sounds good to me. Okay, so Niraj, we play a little game on this show. What I need you to do is I need you to pick a number between one and four.
1: One and four, huh? Yeah. How many people pick two?
0: Uh, a lot of people, so... <laughs> 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 what, what is that happening? We've actually, you know, we have a, we have a lot of a geeks that listen to the show, so of course we get a lot of comments about... Uh, Saying between one and four inclusive. And yeah. and they're absolutely correct in that most people pick two or three. And most people don't yeah. pick one or four. So, you know, you can pick two, so, but that's, you know, social engineering. You're just going to be just normal. I'll be four. <laughs> okay. Push. See, now you're a, a unique snowflake. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather live life without any taste buds or never have any feeling in your fingers?
1: Uh, fingers. I have one taste. Yeah. I'd rather live life without fingers
0: well you still get your fingers you just you just lose the feeling so it's even better than what you think now i i think i'd have to agree i mean it would make life tough tough though not being able to, like feel anything with your fingers i guess you'd have to I, well i don't know it's a family show so uh Carl, uh pick a number between one and four I'll, I'll take two two okay would you rather have your parents call you schnookums and cupcake in front of all your friends <laughs> or have to play a two hour game of twister with someone else's fat and sweaty grandma and grandpa.
2: <laughs> so one of them is something for all eternity. And one of them is a two hour event.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: I'll, I'll take the two hour unpleasantness.
0: I know you can tell this is a game for kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So Carl's playing twister. Okay. <laughs>
2: So where do you get these names,
1: Jason? I suspect there's some psychological reasoning.
0: Where do I get... You mean, where Snookum. do I get the car? Oh. Oh, the Snookums. No, here. You, well, we have, you know, the show is not video, but this is, a, this is a card game that my kid had. Okay. So I...
1: I thought somebody somebody called you Snookums. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so
0: my... Uh, I got this came from my kids, and then I stole it from them, and they've never been able to play it. <laughs> so, sorry, kids. Hey, they get other stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so where uh, where can people find you, Niraj? Looks like Carl's uh, been collecting lots of links on the things you've been talking about. Is there anybody anywhere you want to direct people in general?
1: Uh, I would direct them to the SQL Server books online. Okay. And we have a blog, the Data Insiders blog. Uh, that's definitely one big, big place mm-hmm. where we start to talk about net new features of SQL coming up. Uh, and uh, I'm... My peer, my buddy of mine, Igor, actually blogs more regularly than I do. So I would actually absolutely recommend uh, folks to reading Igor's yeah, blog.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned his posts quite a bit on the show, actually, because his posts are they're just every single one is worth reading.
1: Yeah, and it's a gold mine. I mean, uh, and he does a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, I, I aspire to be him. I can't ever be him, but I, I would direct my readers or your audience there first.
2: Okay. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, and you can
0: find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. Niraj, thank you so much for coming on here and schooling us on SQL Server. It was awesome.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com.